The Word of God, the Holy Bible, is a treasure and a gift beyond compare. Every passage of it points to a marvelous truth that God's love for man impelled him to step out of eternity and unite with his creation in order to redeem him from sin. Jesus Christ is both the author and subject of this precious word. Join us at the Superior Word each week as we search out this wonderful gift in search of Christ Jesus. Psalm 143 is Psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord, give ear to my supplications. In your faithfulness answer me, and in your righteousness do not enter into judgment with your servant. For in your sight no one living is righteous, for the enemy has persecuted my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me dwell in darkness, like those who have long been dead. Therefore my spirit is overwhelmed within me, my heart within me is distressed. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all your works. I muse on the work of your hands. I spread out my hands to you. My soul longs for you like a thirsty land. Selah. Answer me speedily, O Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me, lest I be like those who go down into the pit. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning. For in you I do trust. Cause me to know the way in which I should walk. For I lift up my soul to you. Deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. In you I take shelter. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Your spirit is good. Lead me in the land of uprightness. Revive me, O Lord, for your name's sake. For your righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. In your mercy, cut off my enemies and destroy all those who afflict my soul. For I am your servant. Okay, we're in Numbers 22 today, finishing this chapter, 22 through 41. And this is entitled, The Donkey Speaks. <laughs> then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. Then the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam so Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. 
Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of the Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam went to Balak, and they came to Kiriat Huzot. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. It dawned on me while getting ready to type this sermon that of the commentaries I read for sermon prep each week, and despite the scholarly and immensely intelligent nature of those men, they couldn't really make the pictorial connection to many of the stories that we are reading and analyzing because they were not alive when the promises of God to Israel had come about. Only in Israel's return to the land in 1948 could some of these things properly be grasped. It is true that all of the pictures are revealed elsewhere in the Bible in one way or another, but to actually make these necessary connections to what is revealed would certainly be much harder without seeing this group of people returning and occupying the land. A group of the scholars, John Gill and Adam Clark in particular, openly wrote about the necessity of Israel being returned to the land as a sign of the truth of the Lord in accord with his written word. Rather than saying that the church had replaced Israel, these men, even hundreds of years ago, faithfully proclaimed that Israel was still a part of God's plans in redemptive history. However, the duration of their exile, the circumstances surrounding their return, the state of the nations in the world today, and a host of other unknowns added to these meant that they were left without the information that we now possess. And because of this, one can see that it wasn't until Israel's return that the pictorial meaning of these many passages could really have come about. And who knows how much more is left unknown to us. I've struggled with the Blom sermons, hoping to make a final connection as to what it's picturing, and as of this sermon, I am still chewing it over. Our text verse comes from Amos chapter 3, it's verse 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. The words there from Amos do not mean that people today receive prophecy from the Lord and that they then pass on the mysteries of God. I reject that. Rather, the prophets have spoken. The word is written, and God has recorded his plan in it. It is now our job to search it out and to attempt to discern what it is that he has revealed. The longer the time goes by, the more knowledge that is added to the body of commentaries on Scripture, and the more we read and study what the Lord is telling us, the surer it is that we will understand what these prophets have conveyed to them from the Lord. This is the beauty of studying the Bible. It's all there if we can just work it out. Today's passage is another wonderful part of this beautiful treasure we call the Holy Bible. Hopefully today we'll learn some more wonderful insights from it because it is a part of his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again. And may God speak to us through his word today and may his glorious name ever be praised. 
I have a couple of thoughts for you today. The first is, why have you struck your donkey? It's verses 22 through 33. Verse 22. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. Ve'yechar af Elohim, and burned the nostril of God. It is as if fire shot out of his nose over the events that are taking place. It is curious that Balaam had been given permission to go, but that now God's anger is fired up over his going. However, it is apparent, even if not explicitly stated, that the intent by going was to curse Israel. That is why the emissaries had been sent. Had he told them that he could not curse Israel, they would have said, well then, there's no point in you coming back with us. However, by going, the implication is that he will, in fact, curse Israel. That is the entire purpose of the promised payment. As the Bible later records of Balaam, he greedily ran for profit. In this verse, rather than because he went, the verb more rightly says because he was going. It's not just that he went on the journey, but he started and he continued deliberately and with conviction on it, pressing forward to the intended end. As Kyle notes, it is evident on the one hand that the anger of God was not excited by the fact that Balaam went with the elders of Moab, but by his behavior with her on setting out upon the journey. His being given permission to go did not mean that he had to go, but that the expectation was that he would do right if he went. The fact that he decided to go and pressed on as he went meant that this would not be the case. Verse 22 continues, And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And took his stand, the angel of Jehovah, in the way as an adversary against him. The word Satan, or we would say Satan, or adversary, is introduced into the Bible here. It is one who opposes or who is an accuser. When it is prefixed by the definite article, it speaks of Satan, the archenemy of God. Here, it is Malak Yehovah, or the angel of the Lord, meaning the eternal Christ who stands in opposition to Balaam. Verse 22 continues, And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Here, he is said to be riding on his aton, or female donkey, along with two na'ar, or young men. These two servants are curiously only mentioned here in what then seems like a superfluous addition of detail. Why mention them at all? Verse 23, Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. It is an irony of scripture that the supposed seer and diviner of the gods was wholly incapable of seeing the angel of the Lord, whereas his brute beast, a donkey, not only saw him, but turned away in understanding. One cannot claim that the path was so narrow that this donkey had to take action. If this were so, it would have stopped or tried to squeeze by, as she will later do. Rather, the donkey avoided the path altogether and went out into the field. So blinded by his now obvious intentions of receiving a king's reward, his supposedly bright intellect is clouded over. At the same time, the beast on which he sat perceived with perfect clarity that the hand of her creator was against them. Here the verb shalaf is introduced. It means to draw out, grow up, or pluck off. The angel of the Lord stands with his sword drawn, indicating the type of death that Balaam would face if he continued down his reckless path. Unfortunately, he did, in fact, continue down it, and in Numbers 31, verse 8, it is shown that this is the exact death that he will face. 
Verse 23 continues, So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. In his ignorance, he strikes the donkey, who is, at this time, his only means of not being struck down. The irony is palpable. He, the soothsayer and the one supposedly who communes with the gods, cannot see what a mere donkey perfectly realizes. If only those in the church today would trust their own donkeys, we wouldn't have so many false teachings from so many blinded people swirling about our churches. Verse 24, Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards, with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. The Hebrew uses the term mishol, or hollow passage, to describe the path. The word is only used here in the whole Bible, coming from a word which indicates a hollow hand and thus a handful. One can think of a path running through vineyards with the vines forming a tunnel to go through. Thus, this is probably a dividing line between two independent vineyards that the people would travel through. On each side would be a gadar, or a wall. It is another new word in scripture signifying a wall or a fence. This was probably of stone which was cleared from the fields and used to mark the edge of the property. This would make passage limited. Verse 25, And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Blom's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Here the donkey can't turn off the path, but it still knows it can't press forward. And so it lurched to the side, which would have smushed Balaam's foot against the wall. It is a different word for wall here, ker. It comes from a root signifying to bore or to dig. And so it is something with depth to it. His foot is smashed against the surface of it in the donkey's attempt to not be struck. Verse 26, then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. The same word, Ve'yosef, which was just used in the previous verse to signify that Blom had struck his donkey, is used again here. It says, Ve'yosef Malak Yehovah Abor, or, and again, the angel of the Lord went. It isn't speaking of the distance, meaning further, but of the event, meaning a third time. This time, however, he appears standing in a place that is so narrow that the donkey can't even attempt to get out of the way. In such a tight place, she would be distressed. Therefore, verse 27, and when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. Well, she doesn't want to get struck again, and she cannot turn left or right, and so the perceptive donkey simply lays down on the spot. She may not have wanted a beating, but one comes anyway. Verse 27 continues, so Balaam's anger was aroused. And he struck the donkey with his staff. Ve'yichar af Bil'am, and burned the nostril of Balaam. It is the same words used above when speaking about the anger of the Lord. The number three in scripture signifies that which is substantial, complete, and entire. The Lord has taken Balaam through the entire course of events in order to alert him to the severity of the situation. As is what can normally be expected of sin, He first allows us to divert from the path, but we remain untouched. He next draws judgment nearer and causes discomfort to arise. And finally, if the lesson is not learned, we end in such a tight spot that we have nowhere else to turn but to simply fall before him, voluntarily or involuntarily. In this case, Balaam is saved from himself by an unreasoning animal who can discern more than he could imagine. Verse 28. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Blom, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? It is astonishing, and I was thoroughly astonished. 
to read the commentaries of scholars, some of whom find the Bible the literal word of God, and yet who dismiss the words of this verse in a thousand different ways. Whereas their commentaries might normally be a few sentences long, they spend paragraphs writing out how this verse doesn't really mean what it says. However, both Peter and anyone else who accepts the word as written must take the verse as intended. Peter says, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his iniquity, a dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice, restrained the madness of the prophet. The Hebrew says, And opened Yehovah the mouth of the donkey. Who made the donkey? The Lord. If the Lord can fashion a donkey, and if he can fashion a man, then he can also make the donkey speak with the words of a man. The narrative is based on the redemptive plans of the Lord, and therefore they are given to reflect that redemptive plan in a particular manner and for a particular reason. If the donkey didn't speak, and if Balaam only imagined it, this would not have restrained his madness. It would have increased it. In asking why she had been struck three times, she is speaking the word of the Lord as prompted by the Lord. The donkey knows perfectly well why she was struck three times. She wasn't asking this because she didn't know. She was asking this because this is how the Lord wakes his people up from their spiritual slumber. What are you doing here, Elijah? The Lord knew why Elijah was there, but he wanted Elijah to think the situation through with clarity. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? The Lord already knew the answer, as is obvious from the response. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter said what he said about Balaam because he knew how the Lord worked and how he accomplished his plans through even the thick-headed like Balaam and even like he himself. In the case of Peter's words in his epistle about Balaam, the Greek actually reads Balaam to Bosor. Instead of calling him Balaam son of Beor, he is called by Peter Balaam son of Bosor. Why would he do that? Some translations simply skip over it as an anomaly and translate it as Beor instead of Bosor, and so do some manuscripts. However, the curious change is credited to Peter making a play on words. The Hebrew letter ayin, when pronounced in an especially guttural way, would make the name sound like bosor, and would then correspond to the Hebrew word for flesh, which is basar. In other words, he makes a pun by calling him Balaam, son of the flesh, which speaks of his pursuing carnal lusts of the flesh in his madness to get rich. Verse 29, then Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. The word Blom uses, and which is translated as abused, signifies to go over completely. It is what one does when he gleans. He goes over an area until it is picked clean. Blom says, in essence, you have completely derided me. And then his next words are in the perfect tense in the Hebrew. Having a sword in my hand, for now I had killed you. It is as if the act were accomplished, but for the lack of a sword. As I only had my stick, instead I beat you with that. Balaam is so furious at this point that he has not come to his senses. His donkey spoke to him, and instead of thinking clearly over that, 
He responds in words that he might have said to someone irritating him over some petty matter. He needs more donkey talk to pull him back from the edge. And so, verse 30, So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. The words are from the Lord, but spoken as if through the donkey. Despite their ultimate source, there is nothing theologically deep. There is simply the continuance of the questioning that had already begun. The answer to the questions are obvious and have the sole intent of bringing Balaam to right reason. He had been told by God not to curse Israel, but then when permitted to go with the emissaries, he had closed his mind to that and opened it up to the riches that lay ahead. With simple questions from a simpler donkey, he is being nurtured into reasoning out the surrounding circumstances. With that now done, then only with that having been settled, is he enabled to see what was kept from him. Verse 31, then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. Vegal Yehovah et enabilam, and uncovered Yehovah Balaam's eyes. It wasn't that his eyes were shut, it is that they were covered over. What he couldn't see, he now sees. And this was an uncovering, not by his own action, but by that of the Lord. Verse 31 going on. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. There is an irony which has occurred in these verses. Balaam was traveling to Moab, or from father, to earn his reward. However, the angel of the Lord who was sent from father has blocked the way. It is a remarkable parallel to Christ's own words of John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The reward is through Christ and only through him. The way is where the Lord is standing. The truth is that he is, in fact, standing there, and the life is symbolized by the sword, which can be sheathed, granting it, or swung, thus removing it. Balaam now sees what Jesus literally proclaimed, and the reaction to this knowledge is obvious. Verse 31 continues, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. It is the common reaction of any who comes before the Lord with the knowledge of who the Lord is. Awestruck wonder. In the case of Balaam, he literally fell prostrate with his face to the ground. Verse 32, and the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. Now the angel of the Lord speaks directly to Balaam, but first in the form of a question. The donkey asked, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Now the Lord asks, why have you struck your donkey these three times? The word for donkey, aton, comes from the word etan, meaning perennial or ever-flowing. This is where the common English name Ethan comes from. So if you know an unsaved Ethan, you can now use this to begin your witnessing to him. Knowing the source of Hebrew names is a marvelous way to do this because many of our names are derived from the Hebrew language. As far as the narrative, we can see that the aton or donkey is a symbol of constancy, consistency, and even patient endurance. I have a brother named Ethan and he fits all of those perfectly. And when I say that you should know the basis of names in order to witness to people, that is true. And I'm going to tell you why. When I was in Israel a couple weeks ago and we got to the park ranger station, one of the people's names was Yaakov, which is Jacob. And I told him what Jacob means and where that's found in the Bible. And he had no idea. He was, oh, wow, that's pretty cool. And another girl's name was Almug. 
And that comes from the book of, I think, 1 Kings. It's a type of, in the Bible, it's called a type of wood, but it means coral. So I didn't know it at the time where it was, so I didn't say this is found in 1 Kings. But if you can tell people that, that will direct them to Scripture. And it will direct them to wanting to know more about what their name means. And I use it all the time. When I meet somebody named Jared, I say, do you know what your name means? Yared means to descend, to come down. And I say that's part of a picture of Christ. Get to know the names of people that come from the Hebrew language, and you will be blessed when you witness to those people. Anyway, the donkey patiently endured her beatings, and the Lord patiently endured as the donkey was beaten. But it was for this reason that the angel of the Lord says, Anochi yasati le Satan, I have come out to stand as an adversary against you. Again, it is the word Satan or Satan, which when prefixed by an article speaks of Satan, God's arch foe. Here, it only speaks of being an adversary. And he stood in this manner for a purpose. It was to uncover the eyes of Balaam and correct his rash ways. Here, the angel of the Lord uses a very rare word, Yarat. It is only found here and in Job 16 verse 11. It signifies that which is rash or perverse, as in rushing headlong into destruction. The Lord has personally intervened to stop this disastrous progression. Verse 33, the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. The angel of the Lord credits the discernment of a mere donkey for turning because of what she saw. He doesn't say, I appeared to the donkey. He simply notes that the donkey perceived his presence. However, verse 33 going on, if she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live. The Hebrew here appears broken as if an aposiopesis. It is as if a challenge to Balaam's mind. Further, it is in the perfect tense as an accomplished fact. Perhaps she turned aside from me for now I have killed you and she lives. Balaam must infer what is being said and to make the right choice about his future path. A donkey speaks, who would believe? And from where does she get her word? Did she just learn, or from God did she receive? What prompted her? What is it she heard? And with what words does she speak? Wondrous oracles about the future of man? No, just a question to her master about this beating streak. Why did he do it? Just because he can? But donkeys don't speak, as we all know. It was the Lord who allowed words to come from her to restrain the prophet's madness. And this is so. He was on a wayward path which the Lord was set to deter. A donkey speaks. Who would believe? A message from God for the wise to receive. Our second thought today, the word that God puts in my mouth, verses 34 through 41. Verse 34. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Here, Balaam acknowledges his sin, but he doesn't say how he sinned. Was it because his way was perverse, or is it because he struck a donkey which didn't deserve it? The Lord standing in the way was because he was acting in a perverse manner, and that is what brought about the beatings. But because the Lord stood in the way, Balaam speaks on. Verse 34 continues, Now therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. The Hebrew reads, And therefore, if evil in your eyes... I will turn back. This shows that Balaam is still intent on going. The word if shows this. There's nothing to gain by going apart from the promised riches, and so it is the promised riches which are still on his mind. 
but the Lord has blessings planned for Israel, and so Israel will be blessed. Verse 35, then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. Here, the angel of the Lord assumes the same authority as God in verse 22, verse 20, by speaking the same words as were spoken then. It is a clear indication that the angel of the Lord is the Lord. What he says is both a prediction and a command. The word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. He has been called to curse, but the Lord has determined otherwise, and so it shall be. Verse 35 going on, so Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Where these men have been during these past many verses is not stated. In verse 21, they were called the princes of Moab. Now they are called the princes of Balak. Together they depart for their destination, obviously sending messengers ahead. Verse 36, now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border at the Arnon, the boundary of the territory. The king desired to provide a true state visit for Balaam. And so instead of awaiting him to come to his location, he went to the extremity of his territory to meet with him. It shows the importance of the matter to the king. He's anxious to give Balaam great honor in hopes that he will accept it and act in the most favorable manner concerning the situation with Israel. The Hebrew says in this verse, Ur Moab, which is probably the same as Ar of Moab in Numbers 21 verse 15. It is located on the Arnon or the Roaring Stream, which formed the boundary of Moab. Verse 37, then Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Balak's words are superlative. Halo shaloach shalachti elecha lekro. Did not sending I send to you for calling? Because the original message from the Lord was so watered down by Balaam, and then completely missing from the words of the messengers, the denial made no sense at all to Balak. In the words, am I not able to honor you? There's a certain amount of wondering if Balaam thinks he's good for his word or not, as if he's hurt at the mere suggestion of it. As one can see, and will continue to see, Balak is a highly emotional person who becomes frustrated over his inability to get his own way. Verse 38, and Balaam said to Balak, look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. Here it appears at first a pious note of faithfulness, but it is a set of words which lack that. First, instead of saying Yehovah, he says God. Twice before, Balaam has said Yehovah, and once he said Yehovah Elohai, or Yehovah my God. Now he simply says Elohim. That can be the true God, it can be any God, or multiple gods. The context decides the meaning, and here the meaning is questionable as to who he is even referring to. Secondly, he never tells him that Jehovah had forbidden him to come, or that he was told only to speak what Jehovah said. And third, Jehovah had said that what was to be uttered was blessing, not cursing. Though Balaam has stated a fact, he has only partially stated it, and he has once again withheld more than revealed. Verse 39, so Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiryat Husot. From their meeting place, it says they have traveled to Kiryat Chutzot, or City of Streets. The name may imply a trading city, or a city where people sell their wares out on the streets, or something like that. The word chutz simply means outside. 
This is the only time that this is seen in scripture. Verse 40, then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. Here the word offered indicates a slaughter for sacrifice. Two kinds of animals are mentioned. The bakar, which comes from a root meaning to inquire or seek, and son, which comes from a word meaning to migrate. Both indicate animals which move as they forage for food. The sacrifice is certainly intended as a means of seeking the favor of the gods of Moab and hopefully appeasing the God of Israel. That it is sent to Balaam and the princes indicates that it is also a type of fellowship offering where there is a meal between the deity and the people. Verse 41 finishes with, So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal that from there he might observe the extent of the people. The chapter ends with Balak going to either a specific place called Bamot Baal or it could be any given place. The meaning of Bamot simply means high places, but it also refers to a specific place at times. It is one of the places where those of Moab would worship their god, Chemosh. In saying the extent of the people, that can mean from one extent to the other, or it can mean the outlying extent of them, one or the other. The former seems likely based on what will be done later. Here's where the chapter ends, high with anticipation about what will happen when Balaam is asked to speak out his utterance against the people of Israel. In a cursory reading of the chapter, even many times, I had always looked at the positive side of Balaam. That made the later passages about him in scripture, which are spoken in the negative, much more difficult to understand. And some of my friends who have emailed me about this guy felt the same. One of my friends, Walters, emailed me. We've gone back and forth and back and forth. What is this picturing? What is this telling us? And we both had the impression going in that Balaam is actually a good guy. Well, you come to find out when you read the Hebrew and you look at the intricacies of what's going on, he only has wealth on his mind. However, after studying this first chapter in detail, it becomes evident that he was, in fact, an opportunist who held Jehovah as simply one God among many. His sitting down to a meal sacrificed by the king of Moab, knowing that he would have done so to Chemosh, reflects this as much as anything else which has been presented. He may have desired to only speak what Elohim told him to speak, but Elohim is a very large word which conveys many meanings in scripture. In Balaam's case, it was most certainly a collection of gods who were there to help him become wealthy. Unfortunately, we're all susceptible to following after the gods of this world, which are led by the god of this world, meaning the devil. Money, addiction to sex, drugs, fame, or whatever else, even lesser gods of chance, luck, and fortune, and so on, all of these are things that we direct our attention to as gods. The world is filled with gods, but we are told to reject them because they all belong to one ruler, Satan. Instead, we are to stand opposed to them and to proclaim that there is one and only one true God, and that God, the Creator, has revealed himself to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. May we set our hearts and affections on him and let us pursue him and him alone to the glory of God the Father. Okay, once again, we're at the end of a sermon. I haven't gotten you any pictures. I'm still thinking about it. I've got about five more sermons on this guy before we either figure it out or we don't. I've had people sending me all kinds of information and their thoughts on it. I appreciate it. So far, I haven't come up with anything that I think is definitive. One friend sent me something yesterday, which I've been mulling over as well, and we'll see. But 
The point is that we are seeing a person that is not right with God when we think he's right with God. And here we have people all around the world like that. We put our trust in preachers all the time because we see him on YouTube or we see him on TV and we say, well, that's a great guy because he speaks well. Even if his message is completely aberrant, we listen to somebody because he sounds like an authoritative figure. Now, where is the problem in that? The problem in that is sitting in the pew. It's because you're not willing to read the Bible. I'm not talking about you individually. I'm talking about you around the world. Anybody in a pew that does not know the Bible well enough and sits and watch somebody on TV and says, wow, that's a great theologian, hasn't spent enough time in the Bible to understand that that person is teaching something wrong. And so I would ask you to read the Bible every day of your life. When you get up, it's the very first thing that I do every day. And I got to tell you what, there are days where I don't want to read the Bible. I just don't. I've got a million things to do. I'm tired. I don't feel well, whatever reason. And that still does not stop me from reading the Bible. I do it because I believe it's the proper thing to do, to have a relationship with God. And I know that when you don't want to do something and you do do it because it's the right thing to do, that's when you're going to be rewarded. If you want to do something and you do it, where's the reward in that? But the, when the Lord looks at you and says, that person really is struggling with this passage today and he's sticking it through, that's where he's going to say, well done. Well, God, well done. At the end of the day, I finish off the day every day with reading the Bible because that's what's right to do. And I have the audio Bible, which I've plugged into the, the uh, car, and I listen to it, and I'm almost done with it for a second time. Now it's June. I'll probably be done maybe before June is over. I'm really close to the end, and that'll be two times in one year, plus two months to spare because I started in August last year. Listen to the Bible. Read the Bible. Fill your life with the Bible because... Someday I may kick off. I could have kicked off when I was in Israel with them, right? Yeah. You come back and you, well, we got to go find a new church. And you go there and this is a really great guy. He's so personable. He's blah, 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 blah. And he's got terrible doctrine. And he takes you down a sad path. Please know your Bible. If there's one thing that you will ever get from me in this church, the superior word is because this is God's superior word. He wants to have that relationship with you. And now that you know that, I've got to tell the people that may not have that relationship that that relationship only comes by Jesus Christ. John 14, 6. I quoted it here today because it was so obvious. He's standing in the way. This guy wants to go to Moab from Father. Jesus is from Father. He's got to go through Jesus to get there. The picture is so obvious when you think it through. He can't get through without going through Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. And he is the life. Okay? If you have not come to God through Jesus Christ, if you're listening to this sermon right now and you think, I'm okay with God, and you haven't come through Jesus Christ, you are not right with God. That's all there is to it. He is the only way because he's the only one that took the sin debt of the world upon himself. All right? So please, please call on Jesus. Be reconciled to God through his shed blood, and then you can have a great relationship with him if you get to know his word because that's when he expects you to start doing the things that need to be done. All right? Please read your Bible. Please know your Bible. But before that, if you don't know Jesus, call on Jesus. Okay? I got a closing verse for you. From Proverbs 28, it's verse 22. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. Sound like anybody you know? Balaam. Next week, Numbers 23, 1 through 12. His words are not... Now, I got to tell you what. Think of something that rhymes with the word oracle, okay? It wasn't easy. His words are not just allegorical. It's entitled Balaam's First Oracle. That'll be our 45th number sermon. And I've got 
four of these, and I got to think of a different word each time. So you, we'll see if we've done it or not. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you. It may seem at times as if you were lost in the desert wandering aimlessly. I went through that a couple weeks ago. But the Lord is there. He's carefully leading you to the land of promise. And so follow him and trust him. And he'll do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay? Now, before we go on, I have a copy of the sermon, which I had for you. And I gave it to Jay and Joan. And they put it in the car. So that's why you didn't. I'm sorry about that. They have it for you. All right. So uh, our poem is called The Donkey Speaks. Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him as things took a turn that was grim. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field, something of which he had not planned. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road, then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path. It wasn't wide between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Not very nice at all. And then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place of leeway. It was bereft where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, seemingly an annoying gaff. So Balaam's anger was aroused and he struck his donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, words for our rhymes. What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, because you have abused me, so you did do. I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden? Isn't it so? Ever since I became yours to this day, was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord there in that place, standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these times three? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. That's the way it was to be. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know the knowledge I did lack. You stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you. Hear me now as I talk, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at Moab's city, which is on the border of the Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? When I speak, so I will do. And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. To his word alone, I must cling. So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kiriath Huzot on a whim. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up high like atop a steeple to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. 
Lord God, we are even now in a wilderness and we are wanting to be led by you. Without you to direct our lives would be a mess. And so be our guide, O God, you who are faithful and true. We long for the water in this barren land. May it flow forth from the rock our souls to satisfy. Give us this refreshing spiritual hand and may we take it into our lives daily. It apply. And we shall be content and satisfied in you alone. We will follow you as we sing our songs of praise. Hallelujah to you, to us, your path you have shown. Hallelujah. We shall sing to you for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the lessons we learn. Even if we don't get the pictures of what's being said here, we have all kinds of wonderful lessons that are being taught us about our own walk with you and how you deal with us when we're in sin and rebelling against you. Help us to learn from that and to apply it to our lives so we don't make the mistakes that are so easy to make in this life and the things that we do which cause us to get away from you and to go on to a different path which is not good and not healthy. Help us to stay on the proper path, the path of Christ all the days of our life. And surely you will be pleased with that and we will be built up in you if we do so. So we ask this in his name. Amen.